Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you every week by Thorn Harbour Health. Here on Well, 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 we delve into the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender, sex and sexually diverse communities. Coming to you from Wurundjeri country, uh, the Hoddle Street office here at Thorn Harbour Health. I'm your host, Jack Rinjan, and joined in a slightly less echoey meeting room than the one I was in with Jacinta a few weeks ago. Joined by Michael Whelan. Hey, hey, hey. And Hal Hawke. Hi, how's it going? How you going? It's been a little while since you were on the show in like a studio space. Yeah, like in this country space. Yes. Yeah, because last time was... Montreal. Yeah, Montreal. Which was great fun. Yeah. A lot of really fascinating conversations to come out of that. Oh yeah, 100%. Mm. I mean, we talked about this on the show with, um, you know, monkeypox, but also like got to talk to a a range of people working in the community in response to HIV globally, which was so nice to do because it has been a long time between drinks Mm. with the last IAS conference canceled in 2020 because, well, that little thing called COVID. Yeah. Um, so, but we're not going to get very much the, the topic of the uh, conference. We're not going to get sidetracked by COVID. We've been speaking a lot about monkeypox over the last few months, but I think it's it's still a topic that is very much in the front of people's minds and it is continuing to evolve. And Cal, that's really why you're here. Um, we love and appreciate you for a number of other reasons, but that's, <laughs> you're like, let's talk about some monkeypox stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. I, I guess, where do we start as far as Thorn Harbour goes? Let's talk about the vaccine clinics at Hoddle Street. Sure. Walk us through, um, I guess, what that's been looking like um, from, I mean, I mean, a communications and health promotion perspective, but yep. also, you know, kind of on the ground. Yeah. Look, the rollout of the clinics has been kind of a massive project for the organization. And part of why I actually haven't been on the show in the last few weeks is I've been kind of sidelined um, by some of the monkeypox work since I've been back. Mm. Um, so... Thorn Harbor has, you know, a lot of people would have realized after we did the episode from Montreal um, that vaccines were introduced here in Australia. So we've been doing vaccine rollout basically since mid to late August. Um, But one of the issues that we've had, and again, was highlighted by that episode, is that globally we have vaccine scarcity. The um, pharmaceutical company that makes uh, Genios or Imivune, depending on what country you're in here in Australia, it's called Genios, um, which is the vaccine that's being used uh, to prevent monkeypox, um, is in short supply. Mm. And so Australia was able to get some, but not a ton, especially initially. Um, So with that initial amount, we were kind of trying to think about strategically, how do we, you know, who are the most at-risk populations and how, how can we get in front of this? Um, one of the things that has changed recently is that we're able to vaccinate a lot more people, and we can talk about that in a second. But basically, uh, Thorn Harbor has been rolling out the vaccine um, through initially through its clinics, and it was one of five clinics identified around Melbourne that was able to offer that. Um, but recently, they've been able to expand mm. that and offer it to a lot more people. So uh, we've probably talked about this on the show, but definitely if you've been paying attention to Thorn, Thorn Harbor's social media channels, there was an expression of interest page yes. um, that allowed people to register their details because a lot of folks we're feeling a bit hopeless because Mm. it's like, here's this tool that can help prevent me from acquiring, you know, this virus and I can't access it um, because the vaccine scarcity issue. Um, 
So basically, Thorn Harbor went, you know what? Give us your details, and when the circumstances change, we will let you we'll know. We'll get back to you. Yeah. Um, that list accumulated very, very quickly. Like, I think— um, It was about 2,000? Yeah. It's been it's exceeded that since then, yeah. overall. Um, but I think that is sort of initial cohort, when we were able to expand vaccine access, mm. um, it was already at, like, 1,500. Yeah. Um, and admittedly, some people on that list had been able to secure appointments with their existing GP if they were a client of one of the other clinics, perhaps, that— had yep. um, some monkeypox vaccine supply. Um, but we, I mean, Thorn Harbor's moved very, very quickly. And a shout out to both our clinical team and also our army of volunteers. Mm. Um, because basically they've been able here at 200 Hoddle Street out of the site that a lot of people might know from Equinox or from Pronto, they've been able to roll out a clinic that's through appointment. So basically they've got a hotline of volunteers now. So through that expression of interest list, they kind of send out an SMS, you get a number for the hotline that's staffed by Thorn Harbor volunteers who shout out to them have been amazing. They're kind of working like Wednesday through Friday to answer those calls and get people scheduled in. And then from Thursday kind of into the weekend, they do those appointment those appointments by appointment, those bookings by appointment yes. here at 200 Hoddle Street. And it's been, they've been cranking it out. Um, then to supplement that, they've, we've also been partnering with Star Health and with Your Community Health to deliver pop-up clinics. Now that's moved around a little bit. Um, we've had, you know, sessions at the Victorian Pride Center. This coming up, this coming weekend, we're actually going to have them at Prairie Town Hall, which a lot of people who live in sort of that South Side area be remember that's where Star Health actually delivered a lot of the COVID-19 vaccines. Yes. Um, and we're also going to be having a site up at your community health up in Preston as well. So we sort of, uh, able to kind of expand that reach a little bit. Mm. It's still very Metro and there's definitely a lot of folks saying like, but what about the regions yes. in a perfect world? hundred percent. We'd be able to do that outreach as well. But I think folks also have to remember too, there are logistics with a vaccine. You can't just throw that in your backpack and go somewhere yeah. that actually has to be transported under very, very certain conditions to keep them as viable. Mm vaccines yes. they have to be refrigerated or you know and kept at particular temperatures and it's not viable to do that in grand scale with what's limited vaccine supply that we have yeah um and also too what further complicates that is that you know it's all originally portioned for five mil injections yes um 0.5 mil yeah exactly and so and that's been changed on how you uh, the the amount that people are receiving um, so I, I guess let's talk about that as okay. well then. So originally the dose was a subcutaneous, so it's going into fatty muscle in the arm, I believe. Was yeah, it was, going, it was, it was going into your arm. Like you got your COVID jab. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's how most people would recognize it. Yeah. yeah. You'll hear subcutaneous, you'll hear subcut, whatever. But essentially for most folks, it would be how, how you got your COVID jab. You know, as expected. Yeah. Um, that used 0.5 mil of the doses that we got. Um, problem was that, as you said, there weren't many of them. Right. Atagi stepped in, is my understanding, and said, okay, cool, here is the intradermal method. Walk us through, I guess, what that means for the vaccine rollout generally, and then what people can expect when they actually come and get a vaccine potentially at 200 Hoddle Street. Yep. So Atagi, for folks that don't know, um, is basically the advisory group that looks at immunization here in Australia. Um, They changed their guidelines and looked at what's called intradermal, which literally means between the skin. Um, And what you do is it's a much smaller needle. It's given at an angle, and it's kind of like it almost injects right underneath the skin in a way that you almost sort of see like a, a, a blister yeah and then the body starts to absorb it straight away it almost if you've ever gotten it it's a lot more it almost feels a bit like a mosquito bite it's really really it fine feels weird and it, it can be itchy yeah. and stuff as well you don't itch it because you no. want to let the body naturally kind of absorb mm. the vaccine that's now in your arm 
Um, and a lot of people too have asked questions around like, oh, they're not doing an alcohol swab beforehand. They're you know put, not putting a Band-Aid on afterwards. For this application format, you don't need either of those things. Yes. Um, so that's just something from anybody from an experience standpoint, if they're going, wait, hang on, what's this going different. on here? This is different, yep. and this is why. Um, but with intradermal, you only need a fifth of that that you needed with subcutaneous, which yep. means those vials that we have could now potentially get into four, four, four times, five. four times. Yeah. Depends on how good the nurse is, yes. is drawing because it's not pre-portioned for it. So you lose a little bit of a fraction, but you can comfortably say you can get four doses yep. of it. Now, intradermal was not recommended for everybody. There are a few exceptions to that. Um, I think for people that are immunocompromised. And when I'm talking about immunocompromised in this instance, we're talking about people who are maybe living with HIV with a CD4 count below 200. Yeah. A lot of people who are living with HIV have been successfully on treatment, have an undetectable viral load and no major other kind of health complications. They're probably not immunocompromised when it comes to this discussion around. Yeah. Yep. If you're immunocompromised, though, when it does come to monkeypox vaccine, they still recommend a subcutaneous injection at the normal standard, you know, 0.5 mils. Um, but for everybody else, it's basically intradermal. There mm. are a few other instances where they wouldn't do that. And you should probably, you know, if you know that that's the case, talk about that with your healthcare provider or whoever's applying the vaccine. Um, but yeah, you can look most of that stuff up online. Again, we've updated our page on the Thorn Harbor website, thornharbor.org slash monkeypox. And we've put in some information around, you know, um, understanding kind of those criteria. Um, I guess so far, how many people have been vaccinated through Thorn Harvest Clinics? Well, it's been thick and fast. And I mean, the number is moving uh, as we're recording this. There's, you know, clinics going on in the building right now. But I spoke to our clinic manager and they estimate that we've actually got probably about 2,500 to 3,000 vaccinations. Um, and that's lot. largely be- because of the change in the TAGI guidelines has allowed us to quadruple the mm. amount of people that can be vaccinated through the different application method. Mm. Have we worked through more or less a, a significant portion of those expressions of interest that we had? Massively. So a lot of those people have been contacted in the first instance. Um, I think, you know, for anybody listening out there that thought, I registered and I haven't heard back yet. We've had some people who may have mistyped their um, mobile yes. number. Um, and that's largely you get that first notification via SMS. So if that number was out by one, you didn't get it. Yeah. So, um you know, they largely have worked through that first list. That was folks that basically were on that registration kind of up until the end of August. Um, and then now they're kind of working through the new one. But yep. like you said, at this point, it's already exceeded 2,000 people. So I guess patience uh, would be the one thing I'd remind folks at this stage. That being said, a lot of people that were on that list have also been successful at getting a vaccine either via the pop-up clinics um, or other methods. Mm. Yep. Um have we spoken much about the pop-up clinics? We have. You mentioned Yeah, I mentioned that health. they were happened. Yeah. yeah, we just did some um, last weekend. And I know, too, again, like I, I keep wanting to acknowledge that I understand that folks are really frustrated mm. at the current climate. Um, for instance, we did it at the Pride Center um, this past weekend on Saturday and Sunday. Yep. And Saturday being the first day, it was – because when you get there, it's a walk-in clinic, but you get a ticket. So it's sort of like – you know, it's not like you just come in, grab your vaccine, and on, and on your way. Yeah. You know, you have to be there, and then you have to be observed for 15 minutes afterwards, which, again, folks would be familiar with when you got your COVID, COVID vaccine. Yeah, of course. Um, so with that, you kind of have to come in and take a ticket. And it, once the demand is up, the nice thing about it is you don't have to sit there in line for hours. You can kind of get your ticket, go get a coffee, whatever, go down the street, have brunch. And they'll tell you, look, you're – Come back at one. Yeah, back totally. Yeah. Yep. But if you're coming with – the demand that we saw on Saturday morning, you know, basically by 11 o'clock, we were telling people come back at three, come back at three 30, oh, wow. come back. I mean, it was quite, there was quite the increased demand. Yep. And I know that can be really upsetting for folks, especially if you've come from further away, but that is also kind of 
uh, I guess the gamble you take with a pop-up clinic yeah. when it is walk-in only. That being said, you know, it's, it, I think folks just, I, for the most part, I've talked to a lot of the people that have worked on the clinic. I checked in with folks. I went down to the uh, the clinic on Sunday to see how, how folks were reacting. They were saying, generally speaking, everyone has been really, really understanding around this. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, Michael and I, you and I did Down and Dirty Live uh, not long ago. And I guess one of the things I also want to remind people about is you, people are really, there are some people that are really panicked by this. Mm. Um, and I don't know if that's informed by, you know, the trauma that we've all gone through with COVID. Mm -hmm. But again, with monkeypox, it is a self-limiting disease. Um, it's not great and it's not pretty. No. Um, but it's, it is not going to kill you. There have been some fatalities um, globally, but we're talking about less than 10 in the entire world of the tens of thousands of people that have had a case of monkeypox. I hope that people bring that passion to their sexual health more broadly. You know? Yeah, because we were talking about this, you know, there are other viruses and other bacteria out there that are causing, you know, a great strain on the health system that mm. are not pleasant to get. Um, syphilis being one of them. Yeah. Late stage um, syphilis, brain unpleasant. swelling isn't really high on anyone's desirable list. Yeah, and while COVID was obviously uh, more like more flu-like in its presentation, this is being treated very, very, very similarly to a sexually transmitted infection. So having a think about your testing practices, mm. if you're thinking about getting your monkeypox vaccine, thinking about getting a sexual health test at the same time to make sure you've got, you know, tick, 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 everything's all 100%. considered is, is incredibly valuable. Um, one thing that we're kind of starting to think about now is those people that were fortunate enough to get vaccinated in that first kind of trench of vaccines that were delivered, it's now been four or five weeks. And the minimum, what we talk about is the minimal interval between your first and second dose is around 28 days. So for those people that are like, hmm, the clock's ticking, uh, am I eligible for my second dose yet? What what advice do we have for those people? So we've we've been having those conversations. I mean, with the vaccine scarcity of the issue, really the, the, the focus is on first doses for folks. Um, the exception to that, I would say, are people that qualify, again, as immunocompromised, you know, with those criteria we talked about earlier. Those people, and again, please wait at least 28 days because mm. you will actually compromise potentially long -term the efficacy protection? yeah long term yeah. protection from the, the the vaccine shot so you're giving your body enough time to start to replicate the antibodies and, and protection from that first shot if you do it too soon it could sort of like jeopardize jeopardize the the, 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 the love yeah your long-term protection so you're not mm. doing yourself any favors by doing it sooner as much as we would love to expedite this process mm. yeah and know that we could confidently go out and you know have the sex that we thought and, before monkeypox and again people will be familiar with, with that because of the timing around the right. doses of things like covid vaccines uh, that being said for those people that have had a first shot um what kind of protection do you have after a couple of weeks well, we see, and this is the tricky thing because all of this around Genios is largely based on our understanding around monkeypox as an orthovirus, so similar to smallpox. Mm -hmm. um, but base, there has been some modeling. Some of the data that we saw out of um, the UK basically suggested that for HIV negative people, after your first shot, you're looking about at something probably in the 80% protection range, which is pretty significant. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean you can't get monkeypox still, um, but it may mean that you get less severe infection, um, or that you, you know, have at least 80%. So you might not get it at all mm. with people who are HIV positive. It is a little bit different. It looks like it's somewhere in the sixties. And so when people hear sixties, they kind of say on, Oh, well that's close to 50. It's a 50. 50 yeah. Yes. Look, it's, it's, it is considerably less, I guess. Um, but it's also better than nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's definitely worthwhile, but then for people living with HIV, I think, yeah. Uh, you know, 
keeping an eye on when it's been a month, you know, and at least 28 days. Um, yeah, then I think it's probably reasonable to be thinking about getting that second shot from everybody that I've talked to. And of course, vaccination is not the only way to prevent monkeypox. There are other, you know, behavioral risk mitigation strategies that we can all think about when it comes to our sexual health to minimize our risk of contracting monkeypox. And we've talked about a lot of those, especially when we didn't have access to the vaccine initially. A hundred percent. And also when we did a vaccine, but we were under the other Waiting. guidelines and it was yeah. super scarce. So we did air, I think that interview that I did with Dr. Vincent Cornelise, which yes. gave us some really great ideas. And it was a nice unvarnished conversation to really talk about, Hey, here's the nitty gritty of the, some of the sex that we're doing. What are some of the things that we could potentially do? And it's tough because there's not necessarily an evidence base because we haven't had the time, mm. but what we are seeing, and you, you touched on this, Michael, around how we're, we are really starting to treat this as an STI, because mm. even though it's not traditionally thought of that, the epidemiology is our research in this instance. And it, it is still about 98% of the people globally that have been the acquired monkeypox yeah. are men who have sex with men. So yeah. it seems to be moving pretty much through mm. sexual networks and probably most likely through seminal fluid. Yeah, because we know that it can be present in things like respiratory droplets. We know it can be present on, you know, shared bedding and linens mm. and that sort of stuff. But pragmatically, as you were saying, we just haven't seen transmission occur traced it, to those things. It, exactly. Monkeypox has been, we have seen this breakout basically since May. Yeah. In that period of time, if those other methods were primary modes or high-risk methods, this was already... It'd be anywhere already, else. It would have moved well and truly out of just exclusively men who have sex with yep. men some time ago. And I think, you know, Vincent spoke to part of that in um, that forum around uh, how the virus can kind of exist within, I think it was semen well after that three-week period, potentially. Mm. Um, so definitely go and check that out on uh, the Joy website, joy.org.au slash wellowell. Um, I guess very briefly on, say, community behavior and um, case numbers, we've been sitting at about the same case numbers here in Victoria for quite a while. We, I mean, we're seeing this in Melbourne just recently. Yeah. We've kind of plateaued at 67 cases. The active cases have gone down today. Um, we're down to, like, I think eight active cases at this point. It's cautious i think we're cautiously optimistic mm. at this point and we're seeing this in other parts of the world where it's starting to plateau our numbers are going down i think that we're getting in front of this um i think we were probably i think you know whether or not we follow through with course of action as far as second doses and stuff you know that will be decisions for chief health officers and people well above my pay grade yeah. but it does look like we are getting in front of this at least um, and I think as we are, as, especially here in the Southern Hemisphere, as the weather's heating up and we're going into festival season, that's just one thing we need to keep in mind is that yep. this is an opportunity to get ourselves fully vaccinated or as close as the highest amount of protection we can get in the next couple months before we get into the festival season and certainly before we get to World Pride next year. So that is it for the show this week. Uh, if you want to listen to more from uh, Well, 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 uh, joy.org.au slash Well, Well is where you want to go to listen to previous podcasts and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and well-being. Presented by Joy sponsor, Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website, thornharbour.org. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy.